That's the genealogy of Jesus. Did you hear it? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for an eternal love that you have for sinners like us. For sinners like Judah. For sinners like Tamar. And God, because you love us and we're unable to save ourselves, you've sent a son, you've sent a promise, a seed to come and to rescue us all. And the story that rings in our ears is a reminder of how desperately we need rescue and how filthy our lives are. And how broken our families are. And yet, in the midst of this, you heard our cries of, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us, and ransom and rescue us. Because we are held captive by our sins. Father, my prayer this morning is that again You would come through the power of a resurrected Son, our Savior, and His Spirit. Come as Emmanuel, God with us, and speak through a broken sinner. Father, what is clear throughout Scripture and throughout time is that You are a God who intervenes and rescues. Intervene again today. Father, we ask that Your words of rescue, Your hope and Your promise would be seen and embraced by all who are here today. So Father, You're going to have to come with power and speak. Open up our ears to hear from You. Shine the light of Christ into our minds that are darkened. Father, give us a heart of flesh, a heart of faith. Let us embrace this incredible story. And Father, May Emmanuel, God with us, empower our feet to leave here in a manner that we walk in a way that Jesus walks with us, beside us, before us. And everyone around us has the aroma of Christ in their nostrils because He is here. And Father, the things that are said this morning that are merely my opinion or that are wrong, that aren't really part of Your story, may they be a quickly forgotten part But Father, the things that are true and contain the good news of Your Son, may You use those things to make us more like Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas. This year, I would love for you to one time to say, in response to Merry Christmas, thank you, Tamar. All right, this is all I want you to do. And I'll tell you, you're going to confuse a lot of people, but it's going to be a great intro uh, into some conversation. And I want to practice. Again, you're going to hear Merry Christmas, and I want you to respond. And you probably sadly won't hear this in many places anymore. You'll probably hear Happy Holidays. And even that, I suggest you can use this. But I would love for you to say at least one time, come on, vow with me one time, humor me, and say, thank you, Tamar. All right, so we're going to practice. You all ready? Merry Christmas. Unbelievably, that we have her to thank. Because God used Tamar to rescue Christmas. 
God used Tamar in her story, an incredible story of a twice-made widow who will dress like a shrine prostitute to sleep with her father-in-law, to be impregnated with twins so that we can have Christmas. That is an amazing story. You, you want, I mean, this, this is better than anything on the TV right now. I mean, I mean this is unbelievable. But it's true. It's true. And what we're going to do today is we're not going to pull any punches because God's Word doesn't. And in the genealogy of Jesus, He doesn't put on the list just the trophies that we all know and admire and respect. He puts those, those ones of ill repute, those ones of marred reputation, those ones that make us shiver a little bit. They're there for a reason. And the reason is for us to see if they weren't there, there's no Christmas. There's nothing merry. So Merry Christmas. Say thank you this morning. Or thank you sometime to, to, to Mar because we're going to see why. This Advent season certainly comes to us in a time of tumultuous times in our world. It is tumultuous times in our economy, in our community, in our church. There's some tumultuous times right now. The world's attention, the world's eyes turned recently to Mumbai, India. Mumbai, India. I think that's it. Mumbai. Whatever happened to uh, Bombay? I don't know. But Mumbai, India. Where we saw, again, what terrorists, highly trained terrorists, with tactical precision, military precision, can do to a community. Killing 171 people in that commercial capital districts with machine guns, grenade assaults, where they assaulted at least two five-star hotels, the city's largest train station, a Jewish center, a movie theater, and a hospital. And caught in the midst of all of it was someone from the Orangewood family. A family of ours. An Orangewood family, an Orangewood Christian school family, The Allens that happened to be in one of those hotels, both Lewis and Maxine, uh, their two children, Brandon and Jonathan. They walk into the hotel over the Thanksgiving break, uh, excited to be there. Um, And they were walked into that hotel and they received good news that God was shining upon them. Some of the good news that many of you business travelers uh, have when you walk in, you've been upgraded. Have you ever turned one of those down? You've been up great. We've been upgraded. Upgraded to a special room. It was a special room. Was it ever a special room? Because God knows how to take His sheep and place them in the midst of the storm right where He wants them. And what they thought it may have been an upgrade was a lifesaver. As machine guns went off and grenades were exploding and their world was upturned upside down, the family of four gathered underneath the bed for 48 hours. Mom on one side, dad on the other, and the boys in the middle. Thank God for iPods. It saved and brought a lot of tranquility to the sons listening to Christian music. I think she said Sandy Patty, which really puzzles me why that would bring any tranquility. 
But there they were in the midst of a storm. Talk to Maxine. She says, you know, I just, I could feel the prayers of God's people. They sustained us. And on our, thank God for technology of text messages through cell phones and knowing that people were coordinating an effort to rescue them. That they were going to uh, uh, be heard. And a rescue attempt is going to be made to get them out and to get them home. As they were ushering their way, as their rescuers came and got to their door and they were able to give the password, the pass code, uh, to let them know that this is a safe place. As they were going down the hall, uh, the dad, Lewis, took off his sneakers because they were taking, making too much squeaky sounds and revealing their location. And by the time he got done walking down the hall, they were covered in blood. His socks. An amazing, horrific nightmare. But God always rescues his sheep. And God was there providing for them. And as the Allens walked down the hall, they looked back at this hallway and they noticed that there were two doors and only two doors that weren't kicked in. Theirs. Theirs. And you realize, again, about a God who rescues. About a God who provides. And Christmas is the exclamation to all of us that God has come to rescue us. And to provide and make sure that you and me can have a safe and sound passage home. That's the celebration of Christmas. This is the first thing, uh, first point you want to follow along. Uh, there will be an outline in your bulletin uh, if you'd like to follow along with me. We begin with this. Christmas is that celebration of God becoming man. And then just right there we should stop and say, wait a minute, wait, let me never forget that Christmas is this incredible celebration that mighty God, creator God, became man, flesh, to rescue His family and to fulfill His promise. You see, there's one promise. Oh, there's many promises of Scripture and there's many uh, great encouragements that we look to through Genesis to Revelation. And there's many things that we can point to that we can say are promises of God, but they all roll up into one promise. Scripture has one promise and that one promise is seen in one seed. It's a seed. It's a seed that will lead us to God with us, Emmanuel. A seed that will ultimately germinate into a man, into a God named Jesus. There's one promise of rescue from Genesis to Revelation and we find it in the face of Jesus, fulfilling that one promise. You see, that's why biblical genealogy is important. We read Scripture and oftentimes we get to the bunch of begots, you know? So-and-so begot so-and-so. And we want to just fly right through that. But we can't because what is happening is this. God is giving us a recipe of rescue He's giving us assurance that promises are being fulfilled. 
When Matthew was writing his genealogy to start the Gospel of Matthew, and is where we have placed it as, as the beginning of the New Testament documentation, he begins with a genealogy. And you want to say as a modern writer or reader, come on Matthew, you may want to give us something that's a little bit better hook than a list of begots. I mean, what's up with that? Why don't you really tell us something that's got some gravity to it? But Matthew, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, knew where to begin. And that was with a promise. With a promise that God will deliver a Savior. Matthew is connecting all of the dots for us. That one will come to rescue and he will not fail. There is a promise that is being fulfilled. And here it is. It's a promise of a seed. I want you to see this. A promise of a seed, first of all, of a woman. The incredible story of the Bible, if you haven't read it, let me tell you, you're in December, you're about ready to hit January. Let me encourage you next year, read it. It's amazing. Because you are going to find there is one promise. And there is one seed that is going to fulfill that promise. And that promise to rescue sinners like you and me starts way back. The story begins in creation and God made us in His image and He put us in paradise and we rebelled against Him and we sinned and we wanted to be our own gods and we brought on death and misery that has plagued all of creation itself and plagued every single one of us. And God could have closed the curtains of creation and said, I tried, but man and women are in my image have defiled themselves and to hell with them. But He didn't. Instead, he says way back in Genesis 3.15, he has the first shining of a promise. The promise begins. And the promise is of a seed. And it's really unusual language. Genesis 3.15. It talks about God talking to the serpent, which is Satan, and to the woman who had been deceived. And he talks about that there's going to be Enmity, hatred, strife, warring between the woman and her seed, singular seed, and Satan. Interesting. The woman's seed. Well, we see a promise that this seed of the woman is going to crush the head of our greatest enemy named Satan. He's going to crush the head of death itself. This seed promised to the woman is our hope. It was the hope of Abraham. It was the hope of Isaac. It was the hope of Jacob. It's the hope of ours. It doesn't begin, the story doesn't begin in Matthew. The story doesn't begin in Bethlehem. The story of hope begins really when God created things, but when He tells us in Genesis 3.15, there is a seed coming. And then, the Holy Spirit working in our lives in the seed of a woman. Uh, The writer of the book of Galatians, Paul, in Galatians 4.4 says this, In the fullness of time, when time was pregnant, when God was ready to send forth that seed, he says this, that a woman uh, would conceive, that this conceived of a woman, a Savior, born under the law, born of the woman's seed. A lot of us will read that and say, well, what's up with Paul? I mean, a woman doesn't have the seed, does she? I thought that was, I mean, biology, if I'm remembering correctly, doesn't seem to be right. Isn't that the man's seed? No, it's the woman's. Why? 
Because there was a promise of a woman's seed that was going to be a Savior coming from that seed. And there had to be a virgin named Mary. This is so important. Because every seed of man ever since the fall is corrupt. There had to be a woman's seed that was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that's why this Christmas story is a celebration of a seed. And when Luke does his genealogy, he takes us all the way back to Adam. Why? Because that's where the the story starts. Okay, biblical genealogy is the rescue and the resume for us all, the recipe for us to be rescued. And it begins with a promise of a seed. That's Genesis 3.15 and Galatians 4.4. It's also the promise of a seed of Abraham. I mean, you begin this genealogy, and where does Matthew begin? He begins with Abraham. A promise was made to him and to his seed, interesting, singular. Seed, singular. Yes, he was promised to have as many children that outnumber the stars, but the promise was to him and to his seed. That, that this seed would come. You ready for this? This seed would be so great that through this seed, all of the nations would be blessed. All of the nations would be brought to God. What a promise. And that's why Matthew begins and says, oh, this promised one, Jesus, this is the seed of Abraham. Genesis 12, 7. Uh, if you're taking notes, let me encourage you to take some of these passages down. We're not going to look at them. I'm just going to reference them for you. Genesis 12.7 is the promise of the seed of Abraham. Genesis 13.5. Genesis 24.7. And then you get to Matthew 1, and you can see Abraham appear there. And then you get to Galatians 3.16. Let's take a moment and look at Galatians 3.16. It says this. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his Seed, singular. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, who is who? Christ. You see, this is amazing. Because there's one story of Scripture from start to finish, and the story of rescue is about one seed, and it goes way back to Adam, and Adam is going to be fulfilled in the second Adam named Jesus. We see that clearly. Unbelievably, there's one seed promised to Abraham. You look through Scripture and you see that one seed is Jesus. Do you hear a common theme going on here? There was also a seed promised to David, a righteous king in Israel. Well, kind of righteous. In 2 Samuel 7.12, there's a promise made to this David, this king of Israel, that from his seed, singular, there's going to be a king. And this king is going to be unlike any other king. And he's going to be even greater than King David. He's going to be king of kings and lord of lords. Do you know him? This one seed. You see... There's a promise of rescue for sinners who are broken and confused and scared like us. And that promise is fulfilled through one, and it's Jesus. And Tamar, Tamar is proof that God's plan won't fail. Tamar rescues the day. Tamar. She was so incredible that God would decide to include her in genealogy. All right, Apollo 11. I mean, Apollo 11, probably the most famous of all of the Apollo series. Why? What did Apollo 11 succeed in doing? Anybody know? They land on the moon, right? 
Apollo 11, uh, finally, uh, uh, JFK uh, gave that great challenge and the famous words of Neil Armstrong, one small step for man. You all with me? All right, one giant leap for time. You know, so much of the success of our space program, we can look back to there, but really what we usually do is we look back to maybe that point and we move forward. And a lot of times we forget about the success and the failures uh, uh, those rockets that burned up on the pad, those that uh, were successful. We don't usually think about the Mercury projects or the Gemini projects, and John Young is not as famous, and we forget about Sputnik and maybe JFK. Well, Christmas has a tendency to look back at the Christmas story like it was Apollo 11, that we want to stop there and then look forward. But Christmas is the greatest step for mankind. Listen, it's the greatest step for mankind. It was the greatest leap of mankind. But there's an incredible story that gets us here. And it basically, it's Tamar. God is the hero of the story that we just heard. God is the hero, but Tamar is the one that he uses Uh, to make sure that his plan will succeed. And God is the hero of all our stories. Let me me just take a minute and tell you a little bit uh, more about the story, fill in some details. Okay, God comes to a man named Abraham, says, I'm going to promise you to be a blessing to you. I'm going to be your God. And through your faith, I'm going to consider you righteous. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all nations through you. And there's going to be a seed that comes through you. And this seed that comes through you, it will bless, bless all nations and all people. It's an incredible promise. It's almost like, can can you really believe it? Can you really grasp that a God who's the creator of all things is going to come to one man and make such a ridiculously large promise? And when he finally gets a son, he says, go ahead and sacrifice him, name Isaac, because I want to make sure you really get it and have faith that I'm going to even raise up a son if I need to. And he he does. He, He goes to sacrifice his son, and God says, stop, I see it. So it's this incredible story. There's this incredible promise. And then you come along, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. And one of those 12 sons is Judah. And Judah should be a rising star uh, in the entire story. But he's not. Judah is basically uh, unwilling to really believe and follow God. Um, I don't have time to tell you all the details, but just listen. It's this incredible story. Have you ever felt like God forgot you, like Jack mentioned a few minutes ago? You ever felt like uh, you just things weren't fair and you just wanted to run from God? That's what Judah did. We find Judah hanging out with people who don't believe in God or his promises in a pretty dark area. And we find that Judah is going to give his son to women that God said, listen, we shouldn't do this. You see, Judah's mom, Leah, wasn't loved by the father, his father, the way Benjamin and Joseph's mom, Rachel, was loved. And you know the pain of favoritism? Judah knew it. Judah kept on looking at his son, his brother, uh, Benjamin and Joseph, and man, they got all this stuff. I mean, they got all of it. They got the coats that are pretty and fancy. They got all the better portions. And Judah didn't like it. And Judah got ticked. And Judah decided to basically walk out on his own. 
Maybe like Jack would have at that moment, the way things went south, and said, I'm just going to go and yell and scream. But God's promise won't fail even when Judah would. Judah gives his, Judah gives his, his firstborn, Ur, to be married to a woman named Tamar. Tamar. How bad is Ur that the Lord has to kill him? <laughs> I think this is the first individual. We have Sodom and Gomorrah and others that was so evil that it said the Lord himself took him out. Okay, let's talk about Tamar for a minute. Here's a woman who's been married to what she thinks is a promised one named Judah. And she has been, probably without a whole lot of say in the matter, given to a man named Ur. So in those days, it wasn't love at first sight and, you know, some courtship stuff. In those days, is, uh, I, uh, I got some news for you, Tamar. I just got a, a, a good cow out of the deal. And, uh, and I'm going to give you away for a cow and maybe a little piece of land. And you're going to be married to this guy named Ur. And uh, we're going to kind of combine some family stuff right here. And how about that marriage, starting off like this? How about being married to a man that was so bad that maybe you couldn't scream out to anyone else and no one else will listen in a society that basically thought you were a slave and had no rights and nothing to do, nothing to say? How about being a... you got to know he was beating you. I mean, if he's so bad that God would kill him, what is he doing to Tamar? And so here she is, a widow, and, and as a widow in a society without uh, having any rights, without having any inheritance, without having any security, God had put together in the book of Deuteronomy in his law that if one son dies, one dies, the brother is to rise up and do something incredibly noble. And that is take the widow and become married and impregnate her. And so that she'll have a name. And so she'll have an inheritance. So she'll have a child. That's what's happening. And Judah has already given her Ur. And he's so bad he's taken out. And now trots along this son named Onan. O-N-A-N. And he's worse. I mean, this guy's slime. I mean, this guy's complete slime. Because what he's going to do is he's going to pretend to do the noble thing. I'm going to pretend to do the noble thing. And I'm going to take Tamar as my wife. And I'm going to have sex with her. Now, here's, here's what the story uh, starts to unfold that we start to see how evil this guy was. Because it was payday for Onan. Because his father Judah had, he would divide up everything he had into fours. He had three sons, he divided up into fours. He'd give two to the firstborn, he gets twice as much, and he and his younger brother get a quarter. Guess what? His brother died. Man, Ur, that doggone man. What did he think of Ur? He was so bad the Lord killed him. My big brother, he's finally gone. Guess what? His percentage of the inheritance just went from one-fourth to two-thirds. And if he, has, if he impregnates Tamar, it goes back to one-fourth. Is there a little of economic uh, 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 potential for him to maybe do the wrong thing? And so he does. And here's what he does. He, he's a man who's going to use a woman for his pleasure, but instead of giving her that inheritance, instead of giving her that name, instead of loving her with arms, he is going to spill holy seed. And why is it holy seed? This is promised seed. He's going to spill it on the ground. I'm sorry, that's Scripture. And God says, I'm taking him out. Because he's so evil. And then there's Judah. 
Judah's got one boy left. And by the way, how's Tamar feeling about herself? How's she feeling now being widowed twice? I mean, ladies, how's she feeling? How's she feeling about not even, she, who's she going to scream out to? Who's going to listen to her? Who's going to care about, how does she feel about Yahweh? I married into this man named Judah. He's supposed to be some promise. And all of a sudden, I get two sons, and this is the way I'm treated? I know, and I'm, it breaks my heart. This resonates too much with too many of you all. Because too many of you all are in a marriage that's abusive or grew up in a home that was abusive that you just didn't feel it was anybody listening. And you know that that was what Tamar was feeling. You know it. And so Judah basically says to her, I got one son left. And what the law says, he's in line. You got to give her to her. And you know what he's thinking? Heck no. This woman is bad news. I mean, they're dropping like flies. I have three sons. Two are gone. I got one left. I'm going to give her to her. You know, and he's such, and here's Judah. He's such a, he, he doesn't get it. He's going, to, he's going to get changed here in a minute. He washes his hands and says, now listen, go back to your daddy, okay? I'm not going to provide for you. And when my boy gets old enough, I, I, I'll, I'll send him your way. And you know what he did to her? He did a whole lot worse than just say, get out of my face. He did worse. He mentioned the boy, and he basically says, you are now engaged to my son. Do not marry. Remain, a, remain childless with no identity. Remain with no security. You're just going to fade away, Tamar. And you should fade away because you probably killed two of my boys for some reason. Witchy woman. Get out of here. And it says that time has passed and this Tamar, she's so smart, Judah loses a wife and she mourns. he mourns. And he, Tamar, I mean, she's so crafty. She sees it. And knows, waits till the wife passes away so there's not that complication. And then he's going to, uh, uh, she's going to dress herself up knowing he's coming to town like a prostitute. To get his attention because time has elapsed. And you know what? He's not giving that last son. He's saying, heck no. He's staying home. My, my, My youngest, my only one, he's staying with me. So she dresses herself up like a prostitute. And Judah, this righteous one who was promised a seed, who's living with pagans and acting worse, who's got two boys that have no fear of God that have already been taken out of the equation. Judah, the promised one, who's got the seed that's going to come to a Messiah. He's willing not just to spill it on the ground. He's willing to give it to a prostitute. how pathetic. He's unwilling to do the righteous thing and give his son to marriage to Tamar. He's unwilling to honor God. And in ancient Near Eastern documents, we find out that when there's no son left, the father-in-law has to step in. And the father-in-law has to step in and provide that seed, that identity, that family. It was everything. It was everything. So in incredible craftiness, she divides the, the, the story, and you've heard it. But it's amazing to think of what Judah was willing to do with the promised seed. Listen, we've got to see this. You've got to see this. Judah was willing to throw it all away. Ur was so bad, he didn't get a chance. Onan spilled it. And God said, enough, 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 enough. A Tamar. Tamar to the rescue. This is unbelievable. Tamar to the rescue. Tamar. 
to the rescue. And when the story unfolds, and and don't you love this guy who, who had slept with a prostitute himself? When he finds out that his daughter-in-law became a prostitute, what's the first thing? Burn her! Bring her out here and burn her! I mean, he was so willing to pass judgment. Guilty of incredible hypocrisy himself. I mean, unbelievable pagan behavior. Burn her! And she so craftedly said, you set the price of this prostitution. Yeah, okay, what, 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 you know, what do you say I get for this? A goat? Okay, a goat, fine. Oh, what am I going to have? Okay, your staff? Oh, that's great. It's like your credit card. Okay, or your, like your driver's license, your seal? Oh, great. I'll take your credit card and your driver's license. Sure. I mean, there wasn't any DNA tests, but Tamar had all the DNA evidence she needed. Whose staff is this? Whose cord and seal? Judah. You are the man. And what does she say? This is so important. What is, I'm sorry, what does Judah says, say? He says this. Tamar, Canaanite, twice over, widow, dressed like a prostitute, is more righteous than I. In the book of Habakkuk, it says this. The righteous shall live by faith. And somehow, out of the mystery and the pain of an incredibly broken life, Tamar believed the promises of God that a seed was coming. And somehow, Tamar believed when everything else fell apart that God was going to use her to rescue it. She was righteous because she had faith in God. And yeah, her story's squirrely about dressing up like a prostitute, but she saved the day. She did. And Judah knew it. I mean, Judah said, you're righteous because you you lived by faith. And your faith drove you. I was willing to put seed in a prostitute. But you preserved it. You know, the only one who calls Tamar by name, by the way, is the narrator. Only God. Only God. And you know, we should marvel at this story and just say, here comes a promise. And our man Judah was ready to just throw it away. I mean, he threw it away. And God said, no, 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 no. This promise is not going to stop. Tamar is going to step in. This incredible hero that God uses is the ultimate hero of the story. You see, he steps in with Tamar. Tamar is proof that God will provide. Tamar is righteous. Tamar, and of all of it, is faithful to the promised seed. Tamar, who was seemingly forgotten, is not forgotten. And Tamar, you ready for this? She saves us all. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Tamar. Merry Christmas. Thank you, righteous Tamar. Certainly, the Allens face great fear. What is your greatest fear? What's your greatest fear right now? I mean, these are tumultuous times. Can you imagine the fear lying underneath a bed with your two children with machine gun fire going on? Maxine said, there's just, there's just some screams I can't get out of my mind. I said, I'm going to pray for those. There's just some pleading for life I just can't forget. I'm going to pray for that. Some of you feel like you're pleading for your life. 
Some of you feel like you're underneath a bed. Some of you feel like God has forgotten you. But Tamar reminds us, God's promises never fail. They never fail. All of God's promises are yes in Jesus. The seed has come. His name is Jesus Emmanuel. Tamar reminds us, there's such good news, that God rescues not just some, but all of His children. His rescue always succeeds. We just talked about that through the doctrines of grace. He's not going to lose one sheep. There's not going to be one door that was kicked in that wasn't supposed to. There's not going to be one that's going to be said, well, they're in the casualty list at the end of the day for God's children. He came to rescue us all. And he doesn't fail. And Tamar is a reminder of that. Tamar reminds us that God is with us. Because let me tell you something, God is all she had. Twice over widow. Treated like absolute property. Never felt the arms of a loving man wrap around her for any other reason than selfishness. Used. Abused. Left and forgotten. But God didn't forget her. God didn't forget her. Tamar. Loved her so much, he said, Put her, make sure that name's in my genealogy. Tamar. She saved the day. What is it about your situation that makes you feel that God has not provided for you? Tamar reminds us, circumstances may seem that God has forsaken us, but they are not true. Our equations of what's going on around us may say God is not there, but He is. Tamar reminds us, you ready for this? God is in control. You've got to think, what did you think of Yahweh? What did you think when the second son died? What did you think when your father-in-law falls for the bait and comes sleeps with you? Did you ever wonder, are you really in control, Yahweh? Are you really in control? He is in control. I mean, He is the hero. And Tamar reminds us that God's plan is working even now. Listen, His plan is working in your life, Christian. Those of you who are His, it may feel like failure right now. It will not fail. You hear me? It will not fail. It will not fail. It will have sorrow. It will have pain. You will be under the bed sometimes. You will hear gunfire. There will be things in your memory you want to get out. But His plan won't fail. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. The promised seed has come. His name is Jesus. He's come to rescue us all. And we thank Tamar because of one reason. He points us to Jesus. He will not pass us by. And He is enough. Let us pray. Father, what an incredible story. And I just want to say, uh, just thanks for giving it. Uh, And thanks for not pulling punches with us. I mean, it seems to me that if I want to give my genealogy of my family, there's a few crazy aunts and some really mysterious uncles and there's some great-grandfathers and grandmothers that I don't want to reveal. And yet, God, You have given us Tamar for a reason. Because Tamar was faithful and righteous. Because Tamar believed in the promise of a seed more than Judah did. 
And I know that she saved Judah for his behavior changed from that moment on. And he truly did believe you and follow you and start acting in a way of obedience. Father, I pray. I I pray for, for each one of us that feels like we're hiding under a bed right now. God, thank you that your son has come as Emmanuel, God, with us. Father, I thank you that you're here for each one that feels like Tamar, man or woman, that just feels like they're used and abused, that every chapter of their life just seems to get worse. God, I pray that you would draw near to them and in the tenderness of this moment, just whisper in their ear that you will not pass them by. You will not pass them by. You will not fail. You will rescue and you are rescuing us all. Father, if there's any in this room, and I'm sure there are, that are sitting outside of this story, they have yet to embrace Christ as Savior. That today, they would realize of a God's unbelievable plan of rescue includes them. And that, Father, that today, they would kneel before You and embrace this promised seed of Jesus into their hearts, confess their sins, and experience the new life that comes in Christ. And we thank You that all that we have in Jesus is enough. For under the bed with Him, it's enough. We thank You for that in Christ's name. Amen.